And so Mary found, yes, she found favor with God. And as I said, it wasn't perfect after that by any means. Trouble followed quite quickly, as a matter of fact, after Mary said yes to God. Hi, and welcome to One Little Candle, a place where genuine believers are encouraged, empowered, and inspired to be the light that God calls us to be by contending for the faith that God has entrusted once for all time to his people so that we may pass down undefiled the truth of God's infallible word to the next generation. And in case you're thinking that you can't make a difference in your own little corner of the world, Yes, you can, because all it takes is one little candle. I'm your host, Rebecca Bershwinger. Thanks for joining me for today's episode. Hello there, and how are you today? Thank you so much for joining me. Well, it is, let's see, Christmas is exactly, well, Christmas Eve is one week from today. And so I thought I would just do a little episode about um, Joseph and Mary in particular, as well as some um, myths concerning Christmas and um, a scripture verse that often gets misinterpreted too in regard to Christians and Christmas. So I just thought I, I would talk a little bit about these things. As we know, Christmas is many things to many different people. For the believer, obviously, of course, it celebrates the birth of Jesus Christ. It celebrates the coming down to earth, our God coming in human flesh to be with us, Emmanuel, God with us. Christmas is about a baby who was born to die, born with a mission to die on a cross, take the sin of the world upon himself so that we can be restored to a relationship with the Father. So much joy to celebrate for Christmas. Now, obviously, Christmas isn't just celebrated by believers. It's also celebrated by non-believers. For them, Christmas isn't about the baby in the manger. It's um, It may be about a baby in a manger, I suppose. But as the saying goes, they're fine with the baby in the manger. But what they're not fine is with that baby being on the throne. But um, they celebrate Christmas as a time for family and friends, a time just to maybe set everything aside and celebrate each other, right? Celebrate the fact that we do have family, that we do have friends and just get together and feast. (laughs) You know, we have Christmas parties and gatherings and people celebrate it in one way, shape or form. For many, it's all about Santa Claus and, and presents and what they can get. But Christmas is so much more than that. If we were to take away all those celebrations and the feasts and the presents and and even family and friends, Christmas is still worth celebrating just because of the fact that prophecy was fulfilled in the town of Bethlehem that night at the birth of Jesus Christ. God came down to us. So I want to talk a little bit about Mary, God's choice of who would nurture in the womb, give birth to, and raise God's one and only beloved son. So we all know who God chose, but but why? Why Mary? What made her so special 
among other women. So if you ask some people about why God chose Mary, you'll get different answers, but the most common ones tend to be that she was a woman of high character. She had good morals. You know, she was a moral woman. Others say she was obedient and she was blameless in terms of the law, God's law. And there are still others who claim that Mary was sinless. Um, We'll talk about that a little bit, but this isn't a a deep theological episode. Um, I can direct you to somewhere where you can read more about it in depth. But those are some of the reasons that people say that Mary was chosen. But if we just base that on those reasons alone, well, there are millions of other women that God could have chosen based on that. And one of those women that he could have chosen actually was Mary's cousin, Elizabeth. Elizabeth was the mother of John the Baptist. Elizabeth had, she had an excellent heritage She was descended from Aaron, the high priest. Okay, Aaron was Moses' brother. And she was righteous in the sight of God. She walked blamelessly in all the commandments and the requirements of the Lord. And the Bible talks about this in Luke chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. It says, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. So right there, Elizabeth would have fit the bill, simply based on the fact that she was righteous, um, blameless, and she, she was moral, and she obeyed the precepts of the law. And then, of course, we have those who believe that Mary was sinless. Um, The Catholic Encyclopedia states this, says that Mary was preserved exempt from all stain of original sin. The formal active essence of original sin was not removed from her soul. It was excluded. It never was in her soul. The state of original sanctity, innocence, and justice, as opposed to original sin, was conferred upon her, by which gift every stain and fault, all depraved emotions, passions, and debilities— essentially pertaining to original sin, were excluded. But she was not made exempt from the temporal penalties of Adam, from sorrow, bodily infirmities, and death. That is taken from the Catholic Encyclopedia. Now, it has a lot more to say about that, and you can find this on newadvent.org if you want to look more into it. Now, this... um, view of Mary, first of all, is not biblical. Jesus Christ was the only sinless person. This doctrine that, well, the Roman Catholic Church holds to this doctrine, this doctrine that Mary was sinless, that she herself was immaculately conceived, is not biblical. As a matter of fact, the Catholic Church will admit that because it also says in the Catholic Encyclopedia, I quote, no direct or categorical and stringent proof of the dogma can be brought forward from scripture, unquote. So obviously we know that is a big, big problem because in order to interpret this, it, they they read so many other things into it. It's, it's all according to church tradition, not scripture. We are all born with a sin nature. To say Mary was sinless is to say she never had even so much as a hint of an impure thought or, or anything. And Jesus was the only one who fit that bill. The Catholic Church believes that Mary does help Jesus when it comes to our salvation. 
she intercedes on our behalf and Jesus does what she says. And, you know, when they call Mary the mediator or intercessor, we know that Jesus is the only mediator and intercessor between God and man. Acts 4.12 says this, for neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name, that's Jesus, under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And lest we forget 1 Timothy 2.5, for there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. So, yes, um, Mary has unfortunately been overexalted to the point where she is worshipped by some who claim the name of Christ. And I believe if Mary were to know of this, she would be so grieved to know that this was taking place where she's concerned. But again, I'm not going to get into this. Most of you, I think, who listen to this already are aware of this. But if you're not, please do your homework, as I always like to say. Educate yourselves more on the issue. But um, the Bible says she found favor with God. Now, there's millions of women who found favor with God. As a matter of fact, you and I, those of us who truly believe in Jesus Christ, we have found favor with God. He has endowed us with his grace just as he did Mary. She was a regular human being. She wasn't full of grace. She, like the rest of us, needed grace. And she admits that when she says in Luke one forty seven, my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, because she too, she needed a savior. So I'll just say this, Jesus Christ, he always treated his mother with respect, of course, but he himself never honored her above other people as some religions do. At the cross, he didn't address her as the mother of God or even his mother. He addressed her as woman. When he asked um, one of his disciples to please take care of her and take her on as his own mother after Jesus died. Nowhere in the Bible is she attributed with extraordinary merit or a special connection with God that we ourselves are incapable of having. So I'd like to just give a couple instances here where Jesus himself actually downplayed the significance of Mary. And and the first example I have happens in Luke chapter 11. As Jesus is teaching, a woman yells out from the crowd, And she says this in verse 27, as he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. And in verse 28, Jesus replies, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. So Jesus, he didn't even say, well, equally blessed are He actually said, blessed rather are. So he himself, through his own words, was saying that those who hear the word of God and keep it are even more blessed than Mary. And the second example I have from the Bible, and this I am taking from Mark chapter 3. So Jesus was teaching and there were crowds gathering around outside to see him. And part of the crowd were Mary and Jesus's brothers. And so someone from the crowd notified Jesus of the fact that his mother and brothers 
were out there waiting to see him. Verse 31 says, And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called to him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. So again, Jesus equated those who are his as equally part of his family, just as equally as Mary and Jesus's own earthly um, brothers, his, his half brothers. And as I had said, yes, Mary was favored by God, but so aren't all those who know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We are equally his family, and we all, along with Mary, have equal standing with God. So yes, Elizabeth, who fit the bill, wasn't chosen, nor many other women who would have fit the bill were not chosen. Instead, God chose Mary, a young girl, a nobody from Nazareth, with really very little to commend her. And I say young girl, there are some who say, and we don't have any scriptural proof of this. So honestly, for me personally, I'm not so sure. They Some say she was a teenager, maybe as young as 13. No one knows for sure what her age was. We just know that the common customs back then were to have girls back, you know, then were married at that young of an age. So who knows for sure? I, I know Mary was young, but who knows for sure exactly how old she truly was. Um, we, we don't know. And, and honestly, it's not important <laughs> how old Mary was. And if God felt it was important for us to know, he would have let us know in his word. Now, I just want to say a little bit something about biblical prophecy here. I meant to say this earlier because this has been prophesied. Christ's birth is prophesied throughout the Old Testament. And every last bit of it was perfectly fulfilled upon Jesus's birth. In order to fulfill the prophecies, the mother of the Messiah had to be a humble Jewish virgin living in Nazareth. She had to be ready to give birth in Bethlehem. So the timing of the pregnancy had to be right. So let's talk a little bit about some of the prophecies and where Mary fits in. Because as we're going to see, God had his reasons for choosing the times, the places, and the people involved in his wonderful plan of redemption. Now we know, as we read in Luke, Mary was of the right lineage. Luke traces Mary's lineage through David, Boaz, Judah, Jacob, and Isaac. So Mary's son would be qualified to bear the title son of David and be the righteous branch that was to come from David's family. Isaiah 11.1 1 says... There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Now, Jesse, if you didn't know, was King David's father. Next, we have Mary, who just happens to be engaged to a man whose heritage would require him to visit Bethlehem at just the right time. Micah 5.2 foretells the birthplace of the Messiah. It says, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrata, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. You know, there's a lot of women who found God's favor over the years. 
many of them virgins, <laughs> um, and maybe many of them that had descended from King David. But how many would also be in Bethlehem when it was time for the Messiah to be born, right? And of course, we can't forget the fact that Mary was a virgin, <laughs> that she couldn't be married, okay? Uh, because if she was already married, the world would assume that Jesus had a biological earthly father. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. But, but also Mary was from Nazareth. Luke Chapter 1, verses 26 and 27 says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. And Matthew 2, 23 says, And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Nazareth did not have a good reputation, so being a Nazarene wouldn't give one a very good reputation. Prophecies that were given hundreds of years before Jesus' birth told us that the Messiah would be of little reputation. So Mary was by no means wealthy. She wasn't prestigious. Um, she didn't have connections. She wasn't affluent or anything. And see, God wasn't about that. And this, I just love Isaiah 53. It says, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed and we're talking about Jesus, for he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. I remember the first time I read that and I thought, that to me says, well, Jesus wasn't really terribly handsome. Nothing spectacular that you would give a second look. Who knows? Maybe he was a little even on the homely side, I, I, you know, in in the eyes of the world. Um, I don't know, or maybe he was just an average Joe kind of looking man, but there was nothing striking about Jesus so that people would notice him. And not only just his looks, but again, his connections, his, his social status, um, his background. It says he had no former majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, his own people a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. And this, by the way, would include Mary. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. There's, there's more to it. But um, again, he was of no great reputation. He didn't come from somewhere of great reputation. Zechariah 9, 9, referring to Jesus, calling him the king of Zion, says that he was righteous but he was humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus was humble. He came from a humble background. He had very humble beginnings. Jesus, humble through and through. 
even though he was God in the flesh, even though in all ways he was superior (laughs) to us. He never once looked down on us. So in John chapter 1, verse 46, Nazareth is mentioned, and not in a good way, um, but the background of it is Philip had discovered Jesus, and he knew that Jesus was the Messiah, and he went to tell his friend Nathaniel about it, and he said, come, come, I have found the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, and um, Nathaniel says, Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth? Not a good reputation. Nazarenes were looked down on. So here we have Mary, okay, she's doing her thing, in Nazareth, and the angel Gabriel comes to her and announces to her that she has found favor with God. To find favor with God, it means grace and kindness, okay, in Luke one thirty, She was the recipient of God's grace and kindness. Does that sound familiar? Any of us who are saved are recipients of God's grace and kindness. Mary was the receiver of divine grace, the receiver of God's favor. She wasn't the distributor of it. Others have made her the distributor of it. No, she's not. She didn't do anything to earn it, okay? The the grace and favor bestowed upon her was nothing more than that is available to you and I, any Christians through Christ. But one thing Mary was, okay, was that she was receptive She was receptive to God's grace. How many people reject Christ? They are not receptive to God's grace. They turn it down. They reject it. Many of them outright despise it. You see, God who sees everything, he knows the hearts of man, right? He sees the end from the beginning. Mary was chosen even before those prophecies were given before the foundation of the world. He had Mary in mind. So Gabriel comes, tells her she's found favor with God. She shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Jesus. Can you imagine getting that news? First of all, the visitation from the angel alone. Okay. But her response is amazing. Behold, she says, Luke 138, behold the servant of the Lord, let it be done to me according to your word. Now, how many of us would have started immediately to flip out and to worry about the details and practically demand answers (laughs) for the unknowns that we might be facing, like worrying about how we were going to tell our fiance and and what if their reaction isn't good, then what do I do? You know, how is it going to affect me and my fiance? And what if, what if he doesn't accept this? You know, she didn't do that. She didn't fret about those things, but instead she accepted what the angel told her. How many times has God spoken into our lives and maybe asked us to do something that we weren't sure what the outcome was going to be, or we knew it was going to be hard, or it was even confusing. It didn't seem to make sense at the time. So many uncertainties, right? So many questions and concerns. How many of us would just say, well, Lord, may it be done to me according to your word? Because the fact is, when God speaks, 
we need to obey. You know, we need to obey. No, we're not going to give birth to a Messiah. Okay, that's been done. (laughs) But God wants us to bear his fruit in our lives. We don't have to come from nobility. We don't have to have money in order for God to work in us. All right, to do things through us. We don't even need to be blameless in in the eyes of the law because as we know, Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners. We come to him as we are broken, scarred, sinful, in need of cleansing. And look, finding favor with God certainly doesn't mean everything's going to be peachy, (laughs) rosy. And it wasn't for Mary either, okay? But finding favor with God does mean this. It means Almighty God, he's laid his hand upon our life and he's going to use us for his purposes, for his eternal purposes. It means that we have hope. We have an everlasting hope, no matter how bad things are in our lives, um, no matter what our circumstances, we have hope of being overcomers. And so Mary found, yes, she found favor with God. And as I said, It wasn't perfect after that by any means. Trouble followed quite quickly, as a matter of fact, after Mary said yes to God. Look at Joseph. When she told Joseph, he was upset. He was distraught and I'm sure angry. He felt Mary must have cheated on him. And he wasn't understanding at first, okay? It wasn't until... The angel came to Joseph in a dream to say it was okay. He explained to Joseph what was happening. And then Joseph, and we'll talk about him a little bit. We'll talk about how he handled things. But imagine how painful that must have been for Mary. And Mary was also in danger of being executed, being stoned to death because of this pregnancy, because of this seemingly adulterous pregnancy. Whatever good reputation she may have had was in danger of being soiled permanently. And I'm sure tongues were wagging and I'm sure there were rumors. And there were probably many people who never believed that she conceived as a virgin. I'm sure there were people who went on to believe that Mary was somehow some kind of an adulteress. She had cheated on Joseph. Mary's finding favor didn't mean that she wasn't going to have to make this horribly long, uncomfortable road trip to Bethlehem. You know, it was from where Mary and Joseph lived to Bethlehem was 80 miles, okay? 80 miles is a way for us to travel in a car. We get impatient and can't wait to get there. And it sometimes seems like it takes forever. Can you imagine walking 80 miles? I mean, we don't know how some say she rode on a donkey. That's not in the Bible. But some speculate that she may have. But riding on a donkey isn't comfortable by any means either for 80 miles or walking. And she was obviously very pregnant at the time. So imagine what that must have been like. It was hard. Um, Her finding favor with God didn't mean that she would give birth under wonderful circumstances. Jesus was placed in a manger, okay? She gave birth in a barn or a cave or we don't know where it was, if it was indoors or outdoors for certain, but it wasn't in a hotel. It wasn't in a hospital with, with, you know, medical personnel around. It was in a very humble, humble place where she had to place her baby in a, in a feeding trough meant to feed animals. 
Mary's finding favor didn't mean that she wouldn't experience loneliness. Again, I'm sure she experienced loneliness when she first told Joseph the news. Um, And even afterwards, I'm sure there were people who shunned her and Joseph both. And finding favor with God, look at the pain she experienced when her son was crucified. Her life was by no means rosy after that. Even though she found favor with God, she was endowed with his favor and grace. And it's the same for us in our lives. Matter of fact, when we find favor with God, we become Christians. We're given new life in Christ if we're living the right way. Unfortunately, it means that our lives are going to become more challenging, difficult. The road will not be easy when we live in a world of darkness and we are the light. Okay. But, you know, we do need to be like Mary. We need to believe. We need to trust just as she did. What a wonderful example she is to women, right? Not an example born of perfection because she wasn't. She just, she wasn't. But the fact of the matter is whether we're an at-home mom, whether we're an executive, powerful executive somewhere, or whether we're digging ditches or collecting garbage or um, whatever it is that we set our hands to do in our lives, in our families, in our jobs, in our churches, if God is with us, we are just as favored as Mary was because God's good to all of us. And he dwells with those of us who open our hearts to him. But yeah, just just think about that with Mary. And you know, I think, what must it have been like to look at that baby and to know that he was her creator? Think about it, looking at one of your kids. (laughs) What would it be like to look in their little eyes and to know they had created you? They created the world around you. Think about that. It's just, it's mind-blowing. I can't imagine some of the things that went through Mary's mind. Um, I just can't, but it's it's amazing. What, what a privilege for her to have been able to, and many women, they say many women throughout the years in Israel, the Jewish virgins, they longed to be the mother of the Messiah. They knew at some point someone was going to have to be. Many women through the centuries longed to be the mother of the Messiah. Mary was the one. She was the one chosen. And what a privilege it was. Huge responsibility, though, to be raising the Son of God. But it didn't come without its trials and its heartache and its difficulties. It didn't. And our lives, our child rearing is the same exact way. We may not be raising the Son of God himself, but you know what? We are raising and nurturing little souls, right? That depend on us to point them to Christ. If we don't, who will? The rest of the world is dragging our children away from God. When they go to school, if they're in public school each and every day, they are indirectly and directly being pointed the opposite direction. They're being ripped away from God. And it's getting worse. Think of the amount of time the kids spend in school and not with you. More time in public school than with you often. Because when they're with you, they're also sleeping 8, 10, 12 hours of the time. Or off doing something else. Maybe they're watching TV or into their video games or whatever. You know, not spending quality time. But even the quality time we have with them 
Compared to the time that they get with the public school teachers, how many hours a day in the public schools and what they're teaching now? Ooh, yeah. Um, taking them to church once a week or Sunday school isn't going to cut it, mom and dad, just so you know. Different subject. I'm getting off course here. But anyway, just want you to think about Mary, especially those of us who are moms. Think about the sacrifice that she willingly made. Now, Mary was, however, blessed with a wonderful husband, a perfect husband. I highly doubt it because like Mary, Joseph was a sinner. But I want to talk about Joseph a little bit too because I feel like he kind of doesn't get enough recognition um, for what he did because, hey, a lot of sacrifices made on his part too. Obviously, he loved Mary. He was a hard worker. He was a carpenter. And I'm sure a lot of people in his small town relied on him for a lot as a carpenter. I am married to a small town carpenter. Um, A lot of people, especially older widowed women, rely on him for a lot. But Joseph, what a man. Uh, He's a man's man. He's a manly man. (laughs) But of course, when he first got the news... Can you blame him? Hard to believe because as we know, the science says that when a baby is conceived, well, it's through the act of sexual intercourse. And Mary and Joseph had not had that with each other. And here she is pregnant. So I get it. That would be a little hard to believe. So Joseph was distraught and he didn't believe her and he was going to secretly divorce her. Now, Joseph cared about Mary. He cared about her reputation. He cared about her life. Even though at the time he was feeling betrayed and hurt, he still loved her. He still cared. And he still was trying to do what was best for her. Because you know what? Honestly, there's a lot of men who would have said, you're on your own. (laughs) Um, I'm done. I'm out of here. I hope they stone you to death. There are men who would have done that. But Joseph was a godly man. So yes, Joseph a devout man, full of faith, obedient to God. And some of the things we've learned from the Christmas story, he was just and he was merciful and he was one who loved and he carefully protected and cared for Mary and Jesus. By the way, the name Joseph means to increase or to add, just a little side note there. Um, Many people say he might have been a bit older than Mary, which... Again, we don't know his age either, but he probably was, given the fact he seemed to have died, you know, much more before Mary. Probably was, um, especially if she was younger. I think that's usually how it went, an older man with a younger bride. He was obviously established enough to support a wife. So as a carpenter, I highly doubt that Joseph was wealthy himself. I'm speaking, at least speaking from my experience here in this day and age. Um <laughs> And as a matter of fact, in Luke 2.24, we know that Joseph and Mary, when they brought the offering to the temple, um, the occasion was Mary's purification from childbirth. The offering was of that of a poor person. It was a pair of doves or pigeons. So they were wealthy by no means. And I'm sure Jesus was taught the art of carpentry as well with his, with his father. But um, I'm sure Joseph was at the very least embarrassed by this incident where his fiance is found to be pregnant with child. How humiliating, right? Everybody's tongues wagging about the whole thing. He knows he's not the father. He assumes that 
his wife to be had an affair with with another the only conclusion he can reach at the time in his humanness is that she was unfaithful so as i said again at worst she could be stoned and at the least shunned okay the child would be known as a bastard and she would be shunned i don't know if family at that point would would take her and take care of her if they would just leave her her on her own um that was the risk that that many would have faced back in that day and age. And probably no decent man would want to marry her after that either because of the stigma of the accusation of adultery. Um, Her reputation would be completely, completely sullied. In other words, the prospects for someone like that who had committed adultery and who, you know, who was pregnant with child illegitimately, their prospects would have been very, very grim. But this was God's plan, right? This was God's son. God had all this taken care of. These things weren't going to happen to Mary, although at the time it seemed like it was going to, but God is sovereign over all and he is controlling every last detail in his plan of redemption, in the birth of his son. Now, Matthew chapter one talks about Joseph here. And it says in Matthew one nineteen, and her husband Joseph, being a just man, unwilling and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Even though he probably felt maybe shame, I don't know, embarrassment, <laughs> betrayal, he was going to make sure that he wasn't going to add any more shame to what she would already experience. So Joseph was an honorable man, and he wanted to do the right thing. But then God changed Joseph's mind. In verses 20 and 21, it says, But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Do you notice it said Joseph, son of David? Okay. There's that family line as biblically prophesied. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, the angel said. But according to Jewish law, technically she already was his wife. They were betrothed to each other, okay? They just hadn't had the ceremony yet and they hadn't consummated their marriage yet. But the angel let him know this pregnancy is not adulterous, okay? It is directly from God. Let's talk about the name Jesus real quick. As the the angel told Joseph and he told Mary, the name to be given to the child was Jesus. Jesus was not an uncommon name at the time. Jesus is the Hebrew, Yeshua, okay? It's a shortened form of the name Joshua, which I love that name. It's my youngest son's name. It means Yahweh saves or God saves. God has saved the people from their sins through Jesus Christ. And the popular Jewish understanding of the Messiah was, was, and I mentioned this, I touched on it a little bit earlier, was that the Messiah, their savior, would be a political or a military figure, in which Jesus was none of those. But this is what they had in their heads, okay? But the angel had made it clear to Joseph that wouldn't be the case. Jesus's mission wasn't to overthrow the Roman oppressors. It wasn't to reinstate the Jewish kingdom. His mission 
was to take care of something even more sinister, a, a sinister enemy, and that is sin. Okay? The power of sin is what Jesus came to destroy. Not a government, not any political leaders, but the power of sin. He came to work in men's hearts. So then Joseph wakes up after the the angel talks to him, and he does exactly what the angel commands him to do. He takes Mary home as his wife. But he didn't have any, um, as verses 24 and 25 in Matthew say, he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So Mary remained a virgin until after Jesus was born. She did go on to give birth to other children. Jesus did have siblings. But think about how this must have been for Joseph. So here he is. He has a pregnant wife he wants to protect. She's she's getting ready. She's near to having to give birth. And now he has to go to Bethlehem. They have to go for the census. Again, all set up by God. God moving Caesar Augustus to demand a census. So um, God working through believers and unbelievers alike. But imagine what it was like for Joseph and the worries that he had as, as Mary's protector and provider having to ever, you know, have them travel again, 80 miles, whether it's on foot or riding a donkey, whatever, uncomfortable and long journey to Bethlehem. So they get there. And of course, Mary goes into labor and I watched David Jeremiah's Why the Nativity. Oh, please watch it. If you go on to David Jeremiah's website, it's on YouTube as well. Why the Nativity. I love the way he presented it. Um, it's fill in the blanks, but it's nothing, un, you know, it's nothing fill in the blanks that's, that's heretical or anything like that. We always imagine what might have happened in between, um, such as what was it like for Joseph when he was trying to find somewhere for Mary to give birth. And they show him knocking on the doors and the, the whole crowd there trying to get in and get a room, everybody desperate for a room. And poor Joseph, you know, there's Mary back in the center of the village square or whatever, and she's very uncomfortable. She's having contractions. And Joseph is just trying to find somewhere for his wife to safely deliver the child, Jesus. And I can't imagine the pressure that Joseph must have felt. Maybe he felt awful that I can't give my wife a better spot to give birth than this. Um, again, we don't know for sure the exact spot where if it was in a cave or a stable or downstairs in, in a room in somebody's house. We do know he was laid in a manger. But imagine what that was like for Joseph, feeling responsible for Mary and the baby. Yeah, a lot of pressure there. You know, it wasn't easy. And then later on, the wise men come to worship Jesus. They tip off King Herod, basically that there's the presence of a possible rival heir to his throne. Well, he's not too happy. And so he demands that all babies in that area under two years old be killed. And so an angel commands Joseph to flee and to flee to Egypt with his wife and child. So a lot of responsibility put on Joseph's shoulders. This could not have been easy, but what a kind, loving, compassionate, hardworking man Joseph must have been. And Joseph just kind of fades off. You know, he, he does die sometime later. It doesn't tell us anything about his death, but it doesn't seem as though Joseph was living during the time of Jesus's ministry um, or Jesus's death because Jesus had his disciple 
John take care of his mother, Mary. You know, if you have a faithful man in your life, thank God for him. There have been a lot of faithful men over the years. I know men get a bad rap, especially white men. (laughs) This day and age um, is so sad, but you know, we have a lot to be thankful for when it comes to men. Yeah, there are some men out there who are complete idiots and jerks, and they're more like little boys in a man's body, unfortunately. Joseph wasn't one of those men. There are many men out there who are like Joseph. They're not perfect. Neither are we women, right? Neither are we as wives and mothers or people. But you know, there's a lot of men out there who care for their families and provide and work hard to provide for them and protect them physically and spiritually as well to help them to grow spiritually and point them to Christ, point their wives and their families to Christ. And so we should give thanks. Give thanks for them. If, if again, you know, you have a man in your life who's like that, thank God for him. Okay. Pray for him because it's quite the responsibility that he has as a man. Because we know God has determined in his wonderful way and his created order that men are the heads of their families. Men are heads of churches and they may not do it perfectly, but those that are out there trying, let's, let's give them credit and let's help them in the best way that we can. Anyway, so yes, Mary and Joseph, um, two people to really keep in mind this Christmas for sure. And, and let's, let's try to model ourselves after them. Okay. God's not looking for perfection, but he is looking for faith, trust, and a willing and obedient heart. Um, So another thing I wanted to talk about, this is, you hear this talked a lot about, and I don't think I presently know anyone like this, but there are a lot of Christians who believe this. And when I grew up in the church where I grew up, there was a man who believed this as well. And he believed that, as some people do, that Christians are not to have Christmas trees and that the Bible itself speaks to that. And so the the verse that they use is from Jeremiah. I'm going to read from Jeremiah chapter 10 verses 1 through 5. And it says this, hear the word that the Lord speaks to you, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, Learn not the way of the nations, nor be dismayed at the signs of the heavens, because the nations are dismayed at them. For the customs of the peoples are vanity. A tree from the forest is cut down and worked with an axe by the hands of a craftsman. They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with hammer and nails so that it cannot move. Okay, so I I actually, I stopped at verse four for a reason. So, Many say that this is talking about a Christmas tree because we like to decorate our Christmas trees, right? And a lot of the ornaments are silver and gold. And that the pagan nations, according to Jeremiah, they did this. They cut down trees and they decorated them, okay? But, but if we look at the verse a little closer, and this is the danger of just pulling something like that out of its context. So... It says a tree from the forest is cut down. Okay, yes, we cut down, if you don't have a fake one, (laughs) or buy a pre-cut, we cut down the Christmas trees, either with a saw or an axe, correct? And it says that it's cut down and worked, worked with an axe by the hands of a craftsman. Now, there's two words in there, worked 
and craftsmen. Now, I don't think it does not take a craftsman to cut down a tree. Anybody can cut down a tree. Okay. We used to let our little kids take turns sawing it with the saw to cut down a tree. They're not craftsmen by any means, but it doesn't take a craftsman to cut down a tree. And it says that it's worked. Okay. To work means to, to do more than just cut it down, to begin to transform it, to shape it. Okay. We don't transform or shape. Well, we might prune it a little bit, but we cut it down. We bring it in and we stand it up in the house. Um, first of all, this is talking about a tree that is cut down and used to form something, to form a shape of something, to form an idol. Okay. The craftsman is working the tree to transform it, to shape it into something other than a tree. All right. It goes on to say they decorate it with silver and gold. Now we do, this is, this is referring to silver and gold. We don't decorate our trees with silver and gold. I couldn't afford it. (laughs) I don't know about you. Yes. Some of our ornaments may be the color of silver and gold. We have a lot of other colors on our trees too, right? But, um, we don't actually cover our trees in silver and gold. Like they're referring it to this. And it says they fasten it with hammer and nails so that it cannot move. Okay, again, that doesn't sound like a Christmas tree. But verse 5 says this, Their idols are like scarecrows in a cucumber field, and they cannot speak. They have to be carried, for they cannot walk. Do not be afraid of them, for they cannot do evil, neither is it in them to do good. As a matter of fact, the name of the chapter in the Bible is titled Idols and the Living God. So, you see... This in no way, shape, or form is a Christmas tree, okay? It's not. It's talking about the nations who cut down trees with a skilled craftsman. They work it and they shape it into idols. They overlay it with silver and gold, actual silver and gold, okay? And then they nail them up on a wall or maybe carry them around with them to different places. Like it says, they have to carry it because it can't walk, can't speak, But this is specifically talking about the creation of idols for worship. We do not worship our Christmas tree. I've never once kneeled before it or bowed before my Christmas tree. We bring it in and we decorate it. We love the beautiful glow and the lights. We love the smell of it. Although this year, well, we got a fake tree last year. I'm tired of paying $100 a tree. But anyway... We hang ornaments on that the children have made over the years. It's full of memories. We have ornaments from the first year that my husband Bob and I were together, you know, our very first Christmas together. Um, They're they're memories. They're fond memories of of family and and friends who gave us ornaments. It's beautiful to look at. That's pretty much why we, we do it. We look forward to its beauty. But it in no way is something that we worship. Um, And our Christmas would be just fine without a Christmas tree, truth be told. Yeah. But I'm just saying, if you're relying on that scripture as as proof that um, that you, as a Christian, that it's wrong to have a Christmas tree, it's not. So that was kind of something I just wanted to share and talk about a little bit. And then another thing we hear a lot about is that we shouldn't celebrate Christmas as Christians because it's actually a pagan holiday, that it has pagan roots. And again, if you really, really want to do your homework, 
and dig in and do research, you find that there is just no actual evidence or proof of that. There isn't. I'm not going to get into all the details of this because that is not what this episode is about. I just mostly wanted to focus on Mary and Joseph. Um, Some things to think about in regard to them as being obedient to the Lord as a couple um, and ways in which we can also strive to be like Mary and Joseph. But I will direct you to a couple resources. The first is a website called... Christian Answers for the New Age, and you can find that at ChristianAnswersForTheNewAge.org. And there are several wonderful resources and articles on this website pertaining to a lot of New Age issues, but they also have an extensive number of links in regard to whether or not Christmas is pagan. So I would highly suggest you check that out as well. Um, And also there is a podcast called A Word Fitly Spoken. And the hosts of this podcast are Michelle Leslie and Amy Spreeman. And I love following Michelle Leslie on social media and her blog. And um, I'll try to catch episodes of their podcast when I can. Excellent, solidly biblical podcast for sure. And of course, there is our own Christian podcast community. They had a what's called a theology throwdown. They do those um, usually the first Monday of every month. I, there will not be one in January, but this one was at the beginning of December, and it was Christmas to celebrate or not. And some members of the Christian podcast community were on there, and they talked about this. So I would highly suggest that also is a resource to listen to. You can find that at podcast um, strivingforeternity.org, Christian podcast community. So check those resources out. Again, um, I'm not getting into it in this episode because it will take a long time, and I'm trying to keep the time down here. But please do check out those resources for yourself. What I'm just saying is, and if you're not going to celebrate Christmas, do it for a good reason, not due to false information. Because believe me, I'm the same way. I don't want to do something I shouldn't be doing. And I have looked into this as well. And I've read several different things. And my conclusion is the same. It's okay to celebrate Christmas. What's not okay is to celebrate it in terms of just Santa Claus and gifts, you know, and presents and, you know, all the commercialization of it. Although there's nothing wrong with giving gifts, okay? But it's one thing if you go into debt for those gifts, you have you spend money you don't have. Well, that's not a good idea. That's not right. But giving gifts, the wise men brought gifts. You know, that's kind of um, symbolic of what the wise men did. Um, you know, if we focus on everything that the world does and not that baby in the manger, not the God who sits on his throne today, not our salvation and not on the cross because, you know, the cross does go hand in hand with Christmas. I think with the Christmas gospel message, we must include the cross because Jesus came to die. If Jesus just came and then lived his life and was merely a teacher or a prophet, as some mistakenly view him to be, and stripping him of all of his deity death and resurrection, Christmas is of no value to us. It's not anything to celebrate. Nothing at that point. It's it's stripped of its joy, of its meaning. But Christmas is because he was born. He became one of us. He was born of a virgin. 
He came down to us, Emmanuel. He came to be with us, God with us, and he came to die. He lived as one of us. He's our great high priest who can relate because he lived as a human to many of the things that we go through and we experience. But yet he didn't sin, but he died for our sins. And he rose again from the dead. He conquered death so that we too might share in that victory over death one day. And I'll just throw this in here real quick too, because there are Christians who claim that it's sinful to have a nativity or a a manger scene in our homes because, you know, (laughs) I don't know why. Um, There's certainly not graven images or nothing that we bow down before or worship either. Um, The nativity scenes, the manger scenes, many of us have in our homes, they have nothing to do with idolatry or the worship of idols. Those little nativity figurines are just reminders of the Christmas story. That's it. It's symbolic. It's not harmful. We're not worshiping them. We're not breaking any any commandments by having a nativity scene. So relax a little bit. It's, it's what is in your heart as you do this. It's keeping in mind the real meaning of Christmas and celebrating that. Yes, you can, you can have a tree and you can have a nativity and you can give gifts and you can have a feast. You know, you don't want to be a glutton, right? Gluttony is a sin, but having a feast isn't. Um, some people choose not to drink at all. And that's, I think that's a good thing, but some people have a Christmas toast. They have a Christmas drink. Drinking isn't forbidden in the Bible. Drunkenness is. So just keep all these things in mind when it comes to Christmas. Um, We celebrate Christmas. We give gifts. We have a tree. We have the nativity, but our gifts are very, very practical and we don't go overboard. I did that one year I remember when my kids were little, I was working two jobs. I had this extra money and I went nuts with the Christmas stuff. And I'll never forget, they got tired of opening their gifts. They got to be bored and one after another, after another, kind of like, oh yeah, you know. Honestly, one of the worst Christmases ever for me. It really was. I thought, this is awful. What What was I thinking? I did it, I guess, because I could and stupid. It wasn't appreciated. There was just so many, they were overwhelmed with them and it was stupid on my part and sinful. But, um, never did that again. As a matter of fact, one year we did a Christmas with no presents and I got to tell you, it was one of the best Christmases ever for me. You know, the grandkids, we went out and got them Christian books, story books, books that are good for their little minds this year. That's what we got them for Christmas. Um, they don't need toys. They don't need clothes. My grandkids have so much stuff, way too much stuff. And there isn't anything I could possibly get them to add to, you know what I mean? No, I want to get them something that's good for their little hearts and their little souls. And so we got them some godly children's books. That's what we got for the grandkids this year. Bottom line is this, it's a thing of conscience If you, for some reason, are not comfortable celebrating Christmas, then don't. Don't. Okay? But but my my thought is, is please don't condemn believers who do. Okay? And um, for those of you who do, 
cut a little slack for those people who, for for them, it violates their conscience. For people that don't, we just need to respect each other, be charitable in the things that are not pertinent to salvation, which celebrating Christmas is not pertinent to our salvation in any way, shape, or form. And it is easy to get caught up in the way the world does it. I get that, especially with Santa Claus and stuff. Um, I don't know how many of you teach your children about Santa Claus, but um, when my kids were little and growing up and we did Santa Claus, I wasn't walking with Christ like I should. I was claiming I was. I did Santa Claus as a kid. I remember arguing about how if he was real or not in fifth grade. I was in the camp that said that Santa Claus was real. <laughs> When I found out the truth, I had grown out of it by then. I wasn't bothered. My kids had grown out of it. They didn't care either. Children are different. But um, if I had to do it again, I, I probably would not practice the Santa Claus myth because in essence, you, you are lying to your children and there is a chance that you're going to really devastate them. I understand you want them to have like the magic of Christmas, you know, to believe that there's someone out there who's going to bring them presents and surprise them and who, who knows. But you know, the only one who really knows if we're sleeping or awake or if we've been bad or good is Jesus, right? Because he knows our hearts. So at the very least, I would say this, if you insist on having Santa Claus in your children's lives, do this, at the very least, teach them that Santa, he is not God. He is not even like God. Matter of fact, I had a Santa Claus figurine where he was at the manger worshiping baby Jesus. Because even if there was a Santa Claus who did all these things, he's still beholden to God, right? And that God is the only one who can really see and hear and know all these things. Santa can't. He's just a nice man who wants to do nice things for children. I don't know. And he manages to, to get it done. But uh, we got to be careful of not, you know, giving him the same powers as, as God <laughs> in the minds of little children like that. But anyway, the fact of the matter is this. Christmas is special. Yeah, it's special because we give gifts. We get gifts. We gather with family. Um, oftentimes over food, we have holiday gatherings and everyone seems to be a little more cheerful than usual, but it's especially special because God is with us. He's with you. It's not the food, the presents or the tree that makes Christmas special, but Christmas is special because it's the day we remember God with us, Emmanuel. And after Christmas, yep, there's all the presents and the wrapping paper and the bows and the dirty dishes from the feasts. And eventually that tree either gets put up in a box or heads out to the curbside. But, you know, even after all the celebration is over, the lights are put away and we find ourselves going back to the same old routine, you know, the ordinary, the everyday and the mundane. God is still with us. That's the beauty of it. And that's our reason for hope. The hope of Christmas. That's our reason for celebration, for joy, for worship. God is still with us. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. 
And if you believe that, as I do, if you get up every morning remembering that, if you have an obedient heart as Mary, you're going to experience the favor of God every day. Again, (laughs) if you're a Christian, you already have his favor. So Merry Christmas, my friends, my fellow candles, lights in the darkness. Enjoy the freedom to celebrate Christmas, to celebrate it with family, with friends, with food, with a tree, if you want, giving some special gifts to someone. Enjoy it. But just remember what it's all about. Don't forget that. And, you know, and it's a perfect opportunity. Here's how you can be one little candle in your own little corner of the world. Christmas is a perfect time to share the gospel with those who don't know Christ because it's focused on Jesus. That's what it's about. Perfect openings to sharing the gospel through the story and the celebration of Christmas. So don't forget that. And don't leave it at the baby in the manger. End it with the cross and the resurrection. That was his whole purpose for coming. So, song for the day. This song keeps coming to my mind when I think about this episode when as I'm recording it. And that is the song, Mary Did You Know. And I love the version that is sung by Kenny Rogers and Winona Judd. You can find that on YouTube. I will provide the link in the podcast description or just Google Mary Did You Know. But um, I just think, given what we talked about in regard to Mary today, this is a perfect song because you do wonder when you really think about it. And because I mean, that was the reason I put this episode out. I don't know how deeply we think about it. Maybe, maybe many of you do. And if you do, I think that's great. I think we should give a lot of thought to it, but did she know some of these things? Did she think about these things at all? Did they come to her mind as she was going through the, the, um, going through everyday life and the the trials and the challenges and of course the joys as well of raising God's one and only son of raising our precious Jesus. So that was the song I've chosen for today. I find the song very moving. So enjoy listening to it. All right, my friends, until next time, you take care, God bless and Merry Christmas.